Hey, y'all. Welcome to Talk Back, the podcast of the Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church. This is a podcast with all four of your pastors here today, Kevin Ireland, Stephen Finkel, Stacey Eichard, and I'm Emily Wright. And we are just plowing through the book of Ephesians, and we are on chapter five, which we all agree is is possibly the most hotly debated uh, chapter of all of the book, because it has at the end of it, the beginning, which also spills into chapter six, um, which are the household codes for how you are supposed to live. Um, And we'll get to that in a minute, but uh, Pastor Stephen is going to start us off with his insight. What was most insightful to you? What stuck out to you, Stephen, that you want to share with us today? Yeah, well, chapter five deals with a pretty strong theme. Um, You know, if you can read it, you can read a a list of things that are about the moral aspect of our life. Um, And it's a pretty strong list. Uh, But one way that Paul talks about it is you used to live and walk in darkness, and now you walk and live in light. And I was teasing this idea of light And uh, I think one of the most beautiful aspects about relationships is when there are no secrets, Um, when everything is in the light, when we have no secrets, when everything is known, then the fear uh, goes way down in our lives because there's nothing to be discovered, nothing hidden. And I think that's one thing Paul's talking about. Walking in light when you come to Christ looks so different than your life before what he would call walking in the darkness, because we have the spirit leading us and guiding us forward. Um, And again, this, this idea of not living in any shame or fear or things that are hidden um, that the list that he gives talks a lot about what we do with our bodies. um, And he's just inviting the reader into this beautiful beautiful walk in the light of christ walk in the light don't you don't have to go back and and walk in the darkness you have this guiding light in christ and the fruits of the spirit and um he's really inviting them into a different reality than the one they live in day to day i just love the way that ends Stephen. i think where he quotes a, a bunch of different places in isaiah sleeper awake um and he continues the um i love what you're saying he continues that whole live in the light, like you don't have to be asleep, you know, you, you don't just sleepwalk, um, you know, it, so he's connecting that light with it, living almost like someone who's living asleep versus, you know, awake um, or dead and alive. Um, I mean, it isn't, it, it's a beautiful image. Um, he's almost saying it's a really different and new and beautiful way to live. And I love how it's not when we, when I think when I used to read this, I felt, felt it very punitive, like, do not do this. That verse um, 10 is hard for someone that's, you know, a type A, try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord, try to find out and then do it. And then it says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And I think I really saw it as like a checklist and these are the things I should not do. And I would, what, what you miss in that is the freedom that the light offers. It's not meant to restrict you or uh, it's meant to give freedom and uh, a weightlessness to living, you know? Okay. What about you, Stacey? What's that got to you? Well, just continuing, um, what Stephen's saying, if you move on to like the 15th verse, 
Um, and in the CEB Bible, it, this section is called Be Filled with the Spirit. Um, the He begins, so be careful to live your life wisely, not foolishly, and take advantage of every opportunity because these are evil times. Um, you don't have to be ignorant, but understand the Lord's will. And it, it like you were saying, um, Emily, either if you're a type A person, that can be like, anxiety producing oh my gosh i've got to not be ignorant i've got to like take advantage of the time but with what you said and it's so true uh, you know this is supposed to be a kind of a liberating idea that we that we have an opportunity right we have the opportunity right now today to live differently we have the opportunity to stop and be wise and all of this is because of the spirit he doesn't say it in so many words, but the spirit is what's going to bring that wisdom. The spirit is what's going to give you this opportunity in every moment um, to do the right thing and will lead you to do the right thing. Um, I I think that um, it is, I mean, the good way to look at it is not so oppressive, but, but as a, as a call to liberation, and and maybe even and this isn't kind of Pauline. We don't think of him as a cheerleader, but one way you could read this is as someone on the sidelines cheering on the church and saying, "You have this an opportunity. You don't have to be ignorant. You don't have to, you know, um, fall into darkness. Um, it, but but you now have this this uh, this other way to live, led by the Spirit." Um, it, it is a better way to read it and, and so much more, um, life-giving. Um, I really do value wisdom myself personally. Um, and for Paul to be saying, you know, you have the opportunity and you have the ability to be wise. You don't have to fall into foolishness, uh, anymore. Um, it, it's, it's, it's. To me, it's a very inspiring thing. For the listener, if you have not started to watch the mini series, All the Light We Cannot See, it's on Netflix. There is so much amazing imagery about darkness and light, way deeper than just physical darkness and physical light because the main character is blind. And it's just beautiful um about this illumination that really is not anything that you see it's more about how you're living your life um it's it's just it's really remarkable um i do think that this all leads to how we have read the next part starting at verse 21 and through into chapter 6 i think we have read it more punitively as opposed to really having that view of all of these things, whether you agree with the hierarchical system that was going on or not, are meant to to not be punitive, but to free you in your relationships. So, um, which is what's supposed to be different about the church, right? So that's what I want you to share about a little, Kevin. What this says talks a lot in this chapter about where, what the church is and relating it to certain parts of the household. So tell us what you think. Well, yes, I think, uh, as you said in the opening, this probably, these 
verses uh, starting at 22 are probably some of the most often quoted and most often misrepresented things, uh, text scriptures in, in our tradition, and certainly have been used uh, to justify um, a lot of, frankly, horrible things. Um, and, uh, you know, not the least of which is just encouraging people to stay in abusive relationships, right? This, this idea of submission that Paul is talking about is very uh, countercultural. And I think it's important to remember that in all this, he's kind of describing the church, right? How he wants the church to be, how he sees the body of Christ operating. And so when we were talking about this in the Sunday school class last Sunday, you know, we had to talk about this when we were talking about the church and asking, well, what is the church and what does the church do? Talking about Paul's understanding of the church metaphorically as the body of Christ, and how in this text in particular, in the letter to the Ephesians, how this body is very intertwined. The the metaphor has been sort of expanded out a little more than maybe the first time that we see it in earlier letters, so that Paul is talking about the sinewy connective tissue. And when he uses the the metaphor as Christ as the head here, he's talking literally about Christ as the physical head, not Christ as necessarily an authoritative head in this particular metaphor, uh, and that it is integrally connected to the rest of the body in the same way that we are integrally connected to each other and to Christ as the body of Christ, and that this is where the idea of submission then comes in, is from that perceived interconnectedness, that we are all members of one body united in Christ. And so while I think I would suspect this is as countercultural to Paul's time as it is to ours, I think it may be in a little different way, because I think we have a tendency to put so much value on um, freedom and personal autonomy, both in our relationships and just generally in our lives. So when we confront a text where uh, we're talking about submission, it's very hard to see that as a positive attribute of living in the light and being children of the light and called to be unified in the body. So that's what we struggled with in our class. Um, and I, I think it's it's a, a challenge to us to kind of work through those ideas. And I think that one of the, the most difficult things that we as people that are studying the Bible have to face and just name is that we don't know, we can't have Paul here. It's like when you go and look at a beautiful piece of art and you want to so badly have the artist there so you can say, well, I see a horse, but it looks like a woman. What did you intend, you know? Um, But so we have to go with what we know about that time in first century, that it was a hierarchy, that there was an order that was set up by the Roman government, as well as in culture, as to who was at the top and who was at the bottom. And so he is speaking into that to try to bring some level of order within the church. Um, Why is order, why are rules and household rules important within a church? Well, it, it, we like it in the Presbyterian world. We have, we have a order um, we have elders. They're the ones that get to vote. Stacy, yeah, go. But 
And this is unpopular to say, maybe. I'm going to go a little further than Kevin went. Um, But there's also, I think we sometimes throw out the, the whole submission as it's being talked about here because of our aversion for it, and maybe rightly so, and because we're into personal freedom so much. And we, we, we throw out the, there's a spiritual aspect here too, that we also throw out that, that the church and the body of Christ and the community of faith works best when there is mutual submission. It works best when we do put others first. It works best when we do care more about others' opinions than our own. Even Jesus taught that, by the way. I mean, that's, that's in the gospels. Um, and and in my experience, and I think y'all have experienced it too, there's a beauty when people in the church take their power and their strength and submit it to something greater. Um, when elders do that, when pastors do that, when church members do that, when Bible study members do that, there is a beauty that um, we can talk about it, but sometimes you have to experience it. You have to have to do it sometimes to understand its beauty. And I don't want to throw it out even just because it's also distasteful it, it, and can be abused um, because it's important. It's an important part of the life of the spirit. It just is. So this idea of mutual submission and, and you know, our Bibles do not do us any favors. Because if you're watching this, my Bible puts mutual submission up here and then starts a whole new thing that says the Christian household. So it it literally put that mutual submission scripture, you know, like visually, it's not related. But really, I mean, we know that's not, maybe you don't, but maybe you don't know, listeners, but the Bible was not written in chapters and verses as we now know it. We did that to help us, sheep, goats, to figure this out. Um, and, you know, uh, some very famous people that I know a lot of our church members, I should say famous theologians and pastors, that they really respect, N.T. Wright and Tim Keller, they write about this is the hallmark of what they, how they read this text is this idea of, of mutual submission. And so the Kellers, they actually wrote a book before uh, Tim passed away. Um, and it's called The Meaning of Marriage, Facing the Complexities of Commitment with the Wisdom of God. And they tell this story. And I want to tell y'all about it because I think that it's a, an, an interesting story is because it's told from her perspective. It's told from Kathy's perspective. And so um, she said that when, so Tim Keller was a professor before he became a pastor and they had three young children and she was at, they were asked, he was asked if he would go plant a church in New York city. And she was like, "Uh, we've got three little kids. You want us to move to Manhattan? Absolutely not. I just don't see how that's going to work. How can we raise these kids here? And, um, and he was like, well, what should we do? What should we do? And she said, you don't put this decision on me. And so she, in that she's modeling that, like, he asked, what do you want to do? And she said, I don't want to be the one to make the decision, but I'm going to need, this is what she said. I'm going to need more time to come on board if you want to go. 
So I might need that time. And so I love that. It's like this idea of he was like, what should we do? And she said, listen, if you're feeling led to go there, you can make that decision, but I'm going to need more time to be okay with that. And I thought that was a a lovely example of this mutual submission. It is not, submission is a totally different word than subordination. It's equality. And if we believe that men and women are equal, then in a marriage, which we do from Genesis, that they are equal, that in a marriage relationship, they are equal. So um, anyway, what are y'all's thoughts on that? Well, I was just um, coming back to this concept of light and darkness and the aspect of church, a church walking in the light may look like a church community that's not afraid to share their real lives with each other. Um, There's often this code of like things we don't talk about at church um, because it may be taboo, you know, uh, people are afraid to cuss at church. There's like something strange about that. Um, But I wonder if if a church community walking in light can accept that invitation to be really honest with each other about what the things that they're dealing with. Um, you know, Paul's talking about debauchery and all kinds of sexual immorality. Well, that those are just some of the things, some of the things that our culture really struggles with. If we are walking in the light, then we can struggle together with the parts of our flesh or things that, that cause us to want to escape in darkness, you know, do this in secret. So I don't have to tell anybody else, but with Christ as the head walking, you know, being awake, being in the light, uh, we we're invited into a church community that, that is not about us individually, but is about us collectively as we follow the head of Christ. And, um, in that, I can sense Paul's excitement. And as Stacey was talking about being a cheerleader, like, come on, you all, you can you can run. You don't have to walk. You can do this because we're doing it together. And uh, the spirit is leading us. And that's an exciting thing to be a part of, unless you're carrying a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And in that case, you know, that, that can be very intimidating. That's awesome. So what would y'all say is the takeaway for our listeners from this? Well, Paul talks about this deep interconnectedness, not just between husbands and wives, but really the whole body of Christ, which I think Paul is really expanding even beyond the walls of our church buildings, right? He's talking about a much bigger thing when he talks about the body of Christ, to the extent where, you know, we're bringing God into the all into all, right? We're bringing the fullness of Christ into everything, so I, I think it's just an amazingly challenging and frankly kind of almost a cosmic call of interconnectedness that Paul is alluding to here that is just, uh, you know, it almost kind of boggles the mind. Um, and, and yet, you know, all sorts of new agey people will tell you about the butterfly effect and about how we are always trading molecules of air and viruses and everything else. So... I think that, you know, even the greatest skeptic uh, would have to conclude that we are, in fact, deeply intertwined, interconnected, and and really need to be able to submit to each other if we are all to get along both with humans, but also with the creation that we've been given as well. I think the challenge and the takeaway for me is to stop ignoring and or rejecting um 
the fact that to be a part of the body of Christ, um, we are going to have to give up individual freedom in, in, in many things. And that that isn't a bad thing. And that is something that the spirit will help us and lead us to do. Awesome. Thank y'all for sharing. Peace.